P.S. I Love Hoffman is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. So, Kyle, uh, this uh, we have another uh, Philadelphia film. We originally had money for nothing. That was... was Yay! <laughs> was that... <laughs> Was that the only Philadelphia film we've ever had of, of Hoffman's? Philadelphia, you know what, Brian? To the best of my knowledge... Well, okay, he was in... Part of it took place in Philadelphia and the Master. I know that. Oh, true, true, yeah. Um, Let me quick look at his IMDb here. And... Definitely not Capote. I don't think there's other Philadelphia films. Oh, uh, well, the Oakland A's play in Philadelphia, right? In the in the movie at some point? I don't think so. <laughs> no, I'm just that was a it was a bad joke of saying oh. like the city of the team and that they play. Ida March, he's from Pennsylvania, the governor, but that's not there. No. Um. No. Yeah, to the be- to the best of my knowledge, I'll keep. But 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 go ahead. But, what, so do you, I was just thinking like, what are your favorite Philadelphia films, or like, what are some iconic Philadelphia films? I don't know about this I mean, obviously, one. Obviously, Rocky. Yeah. Yes, like, many of the Rockies. That's still. After winning the Super Bowl, that's still their like best known athlete, Rocky Balboa. <laughs> well, I mean, not all the Rockies are Philadelphia films. Definitely one, two, three. Yeah, more of a Los Angeles film. But yeah. well, it's just because Los Angeles is such like a cool thing in the movie. Um, it does take place somewhat yeah. in Philadelphia, but it's not. I wouldn't say like a real good Philly film. No, it's not a Philly. No, it's not a Philly movie. Four, certainly um, not. Five, no. yes. Five, yes. yes. Six, 100%. Yes. And Creed, yeah. and Creed 100%. Yeah, so it's pretty much like kind of not three, definitely not four, the rest, yes. Um, Philadelphia, the Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington film. Yes. Good Philadelphia film. Very, I, would, I would say that's a very Philadelphia movie. Um, um, we're, we're definitely missing some really like, uh, oh, uh, Invincible, the Vince Papali story. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that's you know even it's about Vince Papali, but for some reason Rocky Balboa is still the most uh, <laughs> known. Uh, you keep athlete. Oh, uh, of athlete. course, Silver Linings Playbook. Ugh. I'm thinking of all these Eagle films, and and I guess we're uh, kind of kind of uh, dancing around this whole congratulating them for winning the Super Bowl. Well, I'm not going to congratulate them. What? They had a fair effort. They they beat they beat the Patriots, the mighty Patriots. They beat old geriatric Tom Brady. We beat the Giants. Beat thirty and thirty four year old Tom Brady. They beat forty year old Tom Brady. Still not going to give the Eagles the credit, huh? Nope. Iggy Pop. Amen. Let it rock. I'm a fucking idiot. Red meat. We crave sustenance. I'm an artist. Hello, my name is Jimmy Bowie. Why don't you have some fun? Fun, fun. Tommy, that's a cave thing. Whoever she is, I'm going to find her and I'm going to hurt her. I've spent the past three years learning Finnish. I'm always home. I'm on cool. This is a process of dehypnotization. Shut, 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 shut up. Hey, Hoff fans. Welcome to this week's edition of the PSI Love Hoffman podcast. Our love letter to the remarkable career of the late, great Philip Zimmer Hoffman. I'm Brian Rodriguez. And I'm Kyle Reinfried. We're always home, we're always uncool, and we're always ready to talk great movies. 
Kyle, on another... Well, it's always a special day on this podcast, but I feel like this is a... This is special special. This is double special. extra special day, yes, because we have two of our favorite, favorite guests on... Michael yes, Manzi. two of our favorite guests, but they are the co-creators. Oh. They are the guys that started it. It was their brainchild. It's the first time we're having both of you on at the same time. This is awesome. So, yes, I'm sorry for cutting wait, you no, off, Brian. Wait, no, wait. No, it's not. This is the second time. Kyle, where have you been? Both of you on at the same... Both of them on at the same time? Yes. Yeah. Haven't you been studying your statistics? <laughs> and both times that we've been on, we've started a film with Philip Seymour Hoffman having sex with a woman way out of his league. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and and oh. it had a cold open. In, uh, <laughs> I forgot about also. that. <laughs> and they're both and they're both movies where robberies go wrong. Yeah, and except in this one, the old lady kicks ass instead of hell gets yeah. Shot to death. One of the only people that, I like I, in this movie. I was thinking about that. I'm like, what are the odds that the two of you are on for a movie that's not? I don't want to say so similar, but like so many similar plot points, including opening or almost opening with awkward Philip Seymour Hoffman sex. Yeah, and also kind of both episodes we sort of botched our intros, so like you consistent. Seen my name yet? Have you no. introduced me? <laughs> no, I, I said Michael Manzi. I was about to say your name, Joey. Joey Lewandowski, I believe, the Godfather himself. Jesus Christ! And now Kyle canceled. Do, do, <laughs> and Kyle, do you remember the episode that the two of them were on? Nope. <laughs> oh man, with all those clues, you don't remember what movie that was? Better off dead. <laughs> That's not even. A, we didn't even record that for this show. Before the devil, before the devil knows you're dead. Before yes. the devil knows you're dead. Correct. See, and interesting. Both titles have God's pocket. Before the devil knows you're dead. They're like well, opposite movies, yeah. <laughs> and they're both bad. <laughs> well, I, well, I, I like we the other to... one more. I'll just say that. <laughs> I think we're gonna have more consensus on this one. I could be wrong. But uh, the film, as we've alluded to, is God's Pocket, one of Phil Seymour Hoffman's last films. It's debatable what his like last living film was. Apparently, this was the last film that he completed before his death, but not necessarily. Well, obviously not released because we have the two Hunger Games, but uh, the film we have next week technically was re- had a wide release, though they both premiered on, at Sundance. Point is, this is in the, the last act of his career. Uh, God's pocket. Did had you guys? I, uh, I want to apologize to Mike up front because when you guys came to us and said we want to have you both on for one more episode before we're done, and you gave us a list of episodes that were left, and I was like, oh, I saw this in theaters. I like this movie. Let's do this movie. And then I watched it, and I was like, what was I thinking? <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> but it's not good. And the movie's... it's a first time director. Well, the movie's biggest offense is killing off Caleb Landry Jones three times. Like, he is the only one with life in this movie. And you're like, hey, let's just keep killing the guy. Like, like, the movie opens with him at his funeral, and then we bring him back to life, and then we kill him, and then he, quote-unquote, dies again in an accident at the end. And after completing 2017, which was the year of Caleb Landry Jones, Twin Peaks, Get Out, Florida Project, Three Billboards, American Made, lots of good roles there. Uh, he dies three times in this movie, and I'm like, come on. Like Everybody else is sleepwalking through this movie, and Caleb Landry Jones, even though he's like a racist asshole in this, is like, at least he's like, hey, I'm you know saying things, doing things, dancing around, spinning knives around. Like He's got life here, and everybody else is like, oh, we're Philadelphia workers. <laughs> oh, come on. John Turturro, Richard Jenkins, Phil Sir Hoffman. I do like These Richard guys Jenkins, are, but oh, I don't know. We're back in Philly. Eddie, 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 well, Eddie, yeah, Eddie I was going to say Michael Manzi. 
we're you were on another. Guys. My first episode was uh, Money for Nothing. There you uh, go. Cusack. Welcome and, back, a workin's man Philly. I actually, yeah, I love Caleb as, as a performer. Like, he is an amazing actor. Like, he's just so, like, such an interesting guy to watch and listen to. And, I mean, I, did you mention X-Men First Class? Because he's having, uh, he was... Oh, I only mentioned the things that. that were last year. Like, he oh, had last so year, many okay. good things last year. Like, he's mm. been great yeah. forever. And there was, yeah. my, one of my favorite tweets that I've ever seen says, he does more with the whites of his eyes than most actors do with their entire body. Yeah, he just has, like, such, like, he's just so weird in that X-Men movie. It's like, I watch it again just to watch his performance because he feels like a mutant in that as a person, like, as an actor and stuff. But, um, yeah, I I actually think, like, I think most of the performances in this movie are pretty strong. Like, it's a performance film. It's not necessarily, like, I don't feel like the story is the main object here. I think it's more about, like, the acting and everything. But, yeah, it's very unfortunate that... uh, he is gone early. Like, my main complaint about most movies is, like, stuff happens too late in films, and I definitely feel like his death happens too early in this, because I really wanted more, sort of, like, uh, him, you know, maybe him at the bar, you know, like, let it go on for a day, because we only get, like, the morning, and then that those altercations at the job site to really let it sink in. Even though it, it does sink in, uh, I just was really missing him around for the rest of the film. Well, I would have liked, I mean, we're gonna just jump right into this part. I would have liked to see more of his interactions with his stepfather, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman mm-hmm. here. It was kind of like, I didn't really know, I mean, we could infer the relationship slightly, but also... Yeah, I, I mean, we just didn't get an understanding of why he was the piece of shit he was. You know? Like, I mean, I guess you're happy when he dies in the sense of, like, a bad character, not happy in the sense that he's a good actor that you want to see more of. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I agree. Like, it would have been great to see him interact with our main man. And no, nobody really thinks that this movie is good, by the way. This is not... Um, this well, this is was a John Slattery film, right? John Slattery, yeah, first-time yeah, director. And Roger Star. Sterling. And I Which, was like, yeah. no wonder Christina Hendricks is in this movie, because always... Again, I'm in season mm. two, no spoilers for Mad Men, but always had a thing for Joan, at least through the first, I don't know, 25 episodes or something. So, uh, Roger Sterling, Joan... All that sort of stuff. No spoilers, please. <laughs> I, I, I like him as an actor, and, and I love her. And if we remember another Mike Mancy callback, Charlie Wilson's War. They Charlie had a, Wilson's War, yeah. They had a really good scene that's together, right. Philip Seymour Hoffman and him. I so, wonder if that's where their friendship budded, and that's where it came from. Apparently they know each other from, from the theater circuit. From the theater days? Okay. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. They, they work together in this film. But it's... Uh, 38% critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 32% audience. Seems about right. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to watch this because, like you said, it comes at the end of his career. It's one of the last things he ever shot. I was just really curious to get a sense of him as an actor at this stage, knowing, you know, what happens in a little while to him and everything like that. And, like, I I don't know. I think he... It's so... Like, I... I mean, I recognize him visually, but, like... As a performance, this is like nothing like I really feel like he's ever done. It's so sort of muted and reserved and restrained and, and everything. Um, he never really like blows up that much. Like I, I don't know. I found it very interesting to watch him at, at this point. I mean, it's it's interesting that he again plays a character with an addictive personality. I mean, this is just something we've seen time and time again. Um, you know, unfortunately, was it gambling you know, in this? Because that I felt could yeah, have gambling, been and he home definitely a lot has. 
gambling, and he definitely enjoys his alcohol, but yeah, gambling mm. more than that. Like, everything is there in this movie. It just needs to be sort of pumped up a level, you know? Like, his, the gambling stuff with the horse and Totoro, like, that's not exactly clear. Exactly. The stuff with the sun, like, that's, you know, that could have taken a little more time. Uh, you know, the stuff with the reporter, when we get to the reporter, like, I feel like that's very sort of loosey-goosey. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know? Like, not very I guess- concrete. I guess the thing I liked most about it, and I mean, I am not a fan of the city of Philadelphia, I'll leave it at that, but I like the world building they're doing. I think they do a good job of, like, at least, like, the local watering hole. I think it's called the Hollywood Bar. Yeah, and just but, like, like I the... feel like it could have been any city. Like, I, for a long time, thought this was, like, Pittsburgh. Because I think this is the kind of city that, like, Pittsburgh is normally painted at. For it to be Philadelphia, like, when I saw that on the cop car, I was like, oh, huh, okay. And I feel like this is the kind of movie that you could tell about any city. And I think they shot it in, like, Brooklyn or something. They shot it in New York, but it played as Philly. But, but, like, yeah, they shot it in... Jersey and Yonkers. I just didn't get a a real sense of, like, a city or a place as opposed... Like, a specific place as opposed to just, like, a very good telling of, like, that type of... No. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't get... Sure, no. I I just got, like, really realistic blue-collar town, which in my mind was why I remember liking this movie, because it felt, like, gritty and real and raw. And then I was just like, oh, there's there's not a lot happening here, and... The plot is just like kind of dumb. So is that was that the story you originally liked this movie? Yeah. Well, when I watched it in theaters, I liked it. I mean, I never loved it, but I remembered liking it because I also saw in theaters around the same time was a Most Wanted Man, and that's a very different kind of movie. And like, I'm not really super into spy movies, like espionage movies. Like, I think that they are needlessly complicated a lot of the time. And so, like, in my brain, I equate the two because they either came out the same year or within a year of each other. And so, when you gave us the list of like the short list of things that were left, and I saw those two, I was like, well, I like this one more, but. I remembered liking it more than I actually wound up this time around. Yeah. I think for me, what is, what kind of stands out about this movie is like, I, I like, like Kyle said, the world building stuff, like um, almost like that movie, Joe with Nick Cage, like that movie does the best job of sort of portraying, you know, uh, this town or this environment that's just been run down by the economy and is on its last leg and just struggling to survive. Like that movie does it perfectly. This movie does it, well you know like i feel like that's what it's trying to accomplish also is that it's not per se about this very uh thin story about um a suspicious death on the job like that's basically the story and like the locals are investigating that but i mean is this movie a period piece yes they ne- I mean, do I mean correct me? I like I wasn't sure I didn't if pick it was up like on that. I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't it sure is, if it was it just is. like it, a neighborhood a, with people that have like you know older cars and like. No, it's based on a short clothing. story. It's based on a short story. <laughs> it's not, so they're not that behind. It? It's in the seventies. That's oh like. no yeah, shit! I, feel, I did not pick up on that because I, I get like yeah. almost a soprano y kind of vibe in no, the beginning when it's based on a short rock. story and it's supposed to take place when the short story was written, which was in the seventies. I mean, you you don't you don't see any cars that pre that like are after the 70s but i think that that like sort of plays into the same vibe that it's giving like it is of an era but i don't think it's specific to an era you know what i mean like it's the Mm. same like like it's a blue color town but not a specific town (laughs) and it's like of a of a generation gone by but not a specific one and it's like Mm. it's doing things well but it's almost like I, i wonder if it was intentionally not vague, but, like, left open to semi-interpretation so that you could sort of fit it to your city or your time 
or what? Because I mean, the thing that this, the story that yeah. happens here could happen anywhere. It's just if, I don't know. If that's the case, that I think that's like a really dumb choice because it's it's God's pocket, and it's supposed to be about this neighborhood. It's essentially like like the, from what I understand, the short story is the equivalent of like those Southie Boston short stories. It's supposed to be a real Philadelphia thing. Hence. Uh, uh, Richard Jenkins's character, that writer, like the narrator, he's like talking about like, oh, my city, you know. And, but like, but you're absolutely right. We don't get that. I'm the first one to criticize like really obvious establishing shots, but we could have used like some Philly establishing shots. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I agree with Joey. I think that's what he was going for, and I also agree with you, Brian. I don't I don't feel like he pulled it off. I mean, <laughs> no one says John once in this whole movie. Did they just not say that in the seventies? <laughs> Um, I thought this was Jersey a lot of the time, too. So it's weird how, you know, I want it to be more specific and expounded and and sort of, like, detailed. But it also, like, kind of worked for me in the sense that it's, like, you know, anywhere. It could be any – there's a town like this in every state. You know, there's, you know, the economy is hitting everyone. And it is weird that this is supposed to be the 70s because it totally, like, just fit as if it was – supposed to be today for me like i you know that maybe that's another point is well that, because I think, I think it also you know, would exist today like i think that's the yeah. kind of town the kind of people that whether it's the yeah. 70s or the 80s or today would still be in that same bar you know if mm. if you track this story it's probably their kids or their grandkids in that same bar with the same bar owners grandkids running the bar like it feels like these are the kind of people that never leave the town that like richard jenkins and you have to be like a pretty boring character for me not to get like a journalism boner about your character but like <laughs> i was not into him at all and i am like all in on journalism movies but yeah, i thought about you joey i was like this is this is like the dark side of what could have been I joey know. lewandowski just like stuck in some basement in some town at, in the middle of nowhere just terrible the but dark like, side do you see the ladies he gets in this film uh well yeah, it's, I mean, he, gets, he gets that one lady well, so, yeah. so the one, the, he, well, he, I mean, he, he does sleep with Christina Hendricks, but he also okay, yeah, uh, yeah. sleeps with Sophia Takal, who is great in uh, all of Joe Swanberg's movies. Uh, she also directed a movie called Always Shine, which is great. Like, she's just this actress that sort of, like, floats around the indie scene and is just really, really good. She's also, I think, in, oh, she's also in Ty West's segment of VHS in that second honeymoon. Uh, so I've really liked her for a long time. And like, she's just here just to get naked. Like, it's just like, I wish there was more. Yeah. Like, it's just, hey, this, like, this, this predatory journalist that doesn't journalist have a groupie. Life. <laughs> What's that? He's got a groupie. I was like, where is this coming from? But he doesn't, yeah, I mean, he's yeah. aggressive towards Christina Hendricks, but her, she was just in the bar and just like saying that she's a student from, uh, oh God. Temple. Went there. What Temple, thank you. Yeah. So, so, so we we've mentioned some of the cast, Kyle. Do you want to walk us through the cast? Sure. Uh, well, in the role of Mickey Scarpato, we've got Philip Seymour Hoffman. Then his uh, wife Jeannie, played by Christina Hendricks. Then Richard Shelburne, played by Richard Jenkins. Arthur Bird Capezio, played by John Turturro. And they've Smiling. been on, they've been in the same film together, but not on screen together. Big, Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski. Yes. Yes. And then we've got Smiling Jack Moran, played by Eddie Marsden. They've been in a Love film Eddie. and a scene together, Mission Possible 3. Yes. Uh, I thought he was good in it. I liked him. Eddie uh, Marsden, too, like, full-on Brit, like, doing a great accent. Like, I always... He's done some other show on cable, too, where he's got, yeah, like... Yeah, we've a said it before. What's the... John Voight, uh, Leif Schreiber... 
Oh, Ray Donovan. Thank yeah, you, Ray, Ray Donovan. Donovan. Yeah. yeah, he's on that show. He's awesome on that show. And then uh, Leon Hubbard, played by Caleb uh, Landry. Uh, and then Sal Cappy, played by Dominic Lombardozzi. Herc. And then, uh, Herc yeah, from The Wire. The Wire. From The Wire, yeah. And then uh, Coleman Peets, played by Glenn Fleshler, who is just in, as terrifying in this as he was in True Detective Season 1. I think. Oh, that's where I... He's spaghetti-faced. That's right. Yeah, I knew he, I yeah. from somewhere. I was like, don't fuck He is just so freaking intense. I mean, he was also on Boardwalk Empire. He is an intense, like, intimidating actor. Mm-hmm. And just he's a presence. Being he's got, he was, Kyle, he was in that movie the uh, you and I liked, too, A Most Violent Year. Oh, Oscar Isaac. Yeah, I honestly... I haven't... I really like that movie, and that is a movie I haven't seen since we saw it in theaters. It's on Prime. Or it was. Um, yeah, he's I'll like one of like it. the rival oil men or whatever. Ah, okay, yeah. Nice, I'll have to check that out again. Yeah, he just he has a great face. You know, a great like look about him. Yeah. Uh, one more actor, um, Jack O'Connell. Did you mention him? He is... No, I did not mention him. He is in doubt. I recognize ah. his face. So. Who is he, the bartender or something? I'm just trying to think of the last major character that we haven't really. I think so. Either that, or maybe the guy. The I don't uh, remember any other male figures from Doubt. That's a weird thing. Sorry, he's not the bartender in in that movie. Yeah, he's uh, he he's like another priest. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, probably just like some. He's he's a guy that get cast a lot for his face. You know, his look. He's in a lot of things where he doesn't have a lot of lines. Is he the bartender or the guy with the neck brace at the bar in this movie? <laughs> I know he's... I, I can't remember. I just wrote that he's at the bar. So he could, <laughs> he could he be is the bar. bar. He's playing the bar. He's the he's bar. He plays the bar. Oh, that's where he's I recognized him from. I've seen him in a lot of films. Yeah. He's a method actor. Sometimes he plays a couch. <laughs> um. <laughs> no, but this is a movie that was just, like, to me, so... Like, I got bored watching it, if that makes sense. I was so excited for it to be 88 minutes long, and then I'm like, oh, these are really long 88 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those yeah. movies you like, keep pausing, like, where am I? I'm here? It's like a dog year movie, <laughs> where it's just like, it's, it's moving so slow. You're like, oh, I guess dogs move fast. Never mind, that's a bad reference, but yeah, it's a time, it keeps you in a black hole. Like, you just get, yeah, what time is it? It's going so slow. It's, it's like the casino without, you know, casinos without, like, the windows, you know, just... <laughs> Like I'm still here, you know. I don't know. When, every time now, for for just like bad reasons, when you say anyone says casino, I think of Reindeer Games. Um, reindeer games <laughs> wow. The Throne. Uh, it's just one of the most pitiful casinos I've ever seen on film. Uh, go watch that movie. Check out the episode at CageClub.me. Dot Emmy. So What's Kyle, that? Is it I the Boom uh, Boom Safe, Mike. Is that what it's called? No. Pow Wow. Pow Wow. Pow Wow. The Pow Wow Safe. Pow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't want to forget this, please. Um, we're, we're getting late into our Hoffman tenure, but do you still got it, Kyle? Do you still got a nice little summary for, this for is one, I think this is one of my best ones yet. Ooh. All right. As it's just nothing happens. Yeah. <laughs> As Richard Shelburne says, you can't forgive being from God's pocket. And with the story of Mickey Scarpato, you can see why. In the blue-collar Philly neighborhood, Leon, a young, racist piece of shit, is killed at his uh, day-labor job. This sets the story into motion and getting to see how it affects his mom, stepdad, a local writer, and the neighborhood. 
Boom. I like how you started it as like this, you know, third party objective, you know, uh, quoting things, and then you just drop a racist piece of shit. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) That's that's my like (laughs) Kyle style. There we go. That's my that's my editorial column. That's your next podcast. No, Kyle style. We don't know. They can get into Fashion Week in New York backstage. So, I mean, I don't know. What do, what, do, what do you guys want to talk about this movie? I mean, I honestly, I'll, I'll start off the bat. I like we said, I like this guy, but ooh, I'm I'm not a fan of the direction here. Like director direction. He also wrote it, right? Like he adapted the short story into the screen. Yes, clearly he's yeah, like he's like he's made his Mad Men money. And well, he, it feels like this is like a almost like a passion project thing like I was like is this like where he grew up where Slattery's from like how hard does he connect to this material that he felt that this needed to be expanded into a film and like you know I think he wanted to you know I think he he directed some episodes of Mad Men I think he wanted to branch out as a director he got all his his friends and people he knew to be in the movie he bought he bought the rights of this story and was like I'm gonna do this this is gonna be awesome and it just wasn't I, I I think I see this and I can't cite anything now so i apologize but i see this a lot with like actors turned directors now some of them are great we all know that but sometimes you get these like one-off things where they're just they give the actors a little too much leeway because they're coming from it in an actor's perspective yeah yeah that, that actor's standpoint yeah everyone in this movie feels like they're going in different directions and not in a good way hmm. yeah that's yeah interesting. i mean the one thing I could see about it is like it's a very small production, so you know it, it's not a huge budget blockbuster. So like this is something as a director you can really cut your teeth on. Um, yeah, the budget for this was one million dollars. Whoa, okay, this is, that that makes it a little more impressive in my eyes. And it but it grow it grossed four hundred thousand one hundred ninety four dollars. Whoa, that's weird. Yeah, I mean well, like it, it's something. Was from me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was it was at Sundance. Um, it's surprising because it, it's it's like released the year of his death, and you would think there'd be some push. Yeah, you to cash see in it. on that, you know. Yeah, like, and, and would, it, it the didn't. marketing would definitely be like you know one of his last performances of one of the best actors of the last you know. Of his and it was age. like that, and it was, and it didn't really make a difference. <laughs> oh, oh, or maybe yeah. it did. I'm- I mean, he, yeah, he passed away, I think, only, like, two weeks after Sundance. It was, uh, and like Brian said, they showed this in A Most Wanted Man. Because uh, this is definitely yeah. the kind of thing I would expect more of from Hoffman than Hunger Games, you know, which is, like, where he kind of goes out with. He kind of leaves with Hunger Games, right? Like, that's the end of the line for him. So, I mean, yeah, this like is Brian something Yeah, like Brian said, I, this was the last full performance, and then part two, they filled in, like, did the CGI. Like, in an odd way, this feels sort of like a more fitting farewell than something like that, in my mind, in my eyes, for an actor like him. I mean, it's just, you know, where it's coming from is that indie, you know, kind of thing where they, you know, just kind of working it out as they're, you know, as it's going and just trying to do the best they can. Like, it just has that sort of indie spirit. Yeah, it just has the vibe that even the films that he took early in his career have. Yeah, that's great. It definitely does. It just, this is, like, I was reading a lot of, like, the press for this and just, like, 
stories. And apparently, at this Sundance where, where uh, Most Wanted Man and this premiered, he was like a wreck. I've seen interviews from them. The time he, you could see in his body that he doesn't look great. But well, there's that really, there's the really creepy, creepy like tin picture that was taken of him. You know, like yeah. a little timey photo, and he just looks so. I mean, it doesn't help that it's like no, it doesn't like help that's like the tin type, but, but still. yeah, but like no, he no, just no, looks yeah. so disheveled and like just done, like just real honestly, like just very like almost not to be weird about it, but like done with life. He just looks very well. This is like a lot of people said it like at like Sundance parties. He was just like a jerk. Well, this character has like that a very defeated quality about him, you know, and so maybe he wasn't really stretching at this point, you know, that this was just something he took because he could really express this. Uh, it's what he was feeling. The, the one time. thing I like, yeah, that's a good point, because the one thing I do like about his character that's, uh, like, he feels like he's a guy who has a lot of uh, cachet in the, in the community, despite not being from there, but he's so afraid not to, like, uh, like, be there for his wife in terms of, like, not being able to pay for the casket and stuff like that. And that pretty much, like, guides the entire film. Um, I don't know. I thought that was that was one of, like, the cool things about it. I don't know, but they weren't... They didn't really have a lot of chemistry, despite that early sex scene. No, it doesn't really make... I, I think she was kind of... It was wrong casting on, I think, for her character. I thought she was going to be portrayed as like a trophy wife and that he was going to sort of be hot shit for like what he does, but he's not, you know, like he, he's like, yeah, he's just like a driver. Like he's sort of just like, yeah, he, like that one guy says, he's like, you don't got a job. You've got something on the side, you know, like he's not a big time gangster or anything. And like, he turns out to be a cuckold in the end. But too, maybe so. he was <laughs> like, maybe that's the backstory mm. we don't have. Cause like, I think you're right that there's no way that they're married and he doesn't use that to like advance himself in society. It's some point but we have no history or indication that any of that was there like he's just no, a guy yeah, like a I agree, 100%. who is broke and trying to hustle and just sort of like in before the devil knows your dad like trying to make a quick buck in all the wrong ways and i mean i guess because it's a movie like things don't work out for him um but it's just he, he has nothing going for him, even though from the outside, it looks like he's got this beautiful wife, you know, he's got this kid, this, you know, energetic kid, for lack of a better word, uh, and, you know, that it all sort of crumbles, or maybe there was nothing there to begin with, I don't know. I mean, he certainly garners respect, uh, like, at the bar and stuff, he's not one of the people they treat yeah, like shit. Yeah, but I love at the end how the guy says, fuck you, you're not from here. Like when he starts mm. defending Richard. Yeah, Duncan I wonder is it like, was he just the one who was able to put up with that kid and like put him in his place <laughs> to earn his seat at know. that table or something? Is that a part of it? And yeah, and so people like respect him because they're able to like get that kid in line from time to time or not. I don't know. Something that uh, I don't know if you guys read about or, or anything, but like this is supposed to be a dark comedy. You know, oh, I wrote no. that down. No, I wrote that down because there was a point in the middle where he's wheeling the body around where he, like they find the body out back and like he props him up and like stands him against the wall and he falls over. I'm like, is this a comedy now? Like there it's suppo- like, it's actually yeah. supposed to be like it's the short not. story is a dark no, it's, comedy. No, yeah, it is supposed to be like yeah. It's not. <laughs> it's a think, well, think, think it's about not. think about that weird ending of the trailer in Florida and just those oh. gunshots going that off. That was in Florida. Like, 
yeah. I was so bad. That was such that was such an abrupt, baffling ending for me. <laughs> like it made the movie so much worse in that regard. Well, like, you don't just... remember that one little reference to saying no, that I... she's looking at trailers down Florida. I'm like, come no, on, no. who are you? <laughs> I mean, and that that to me is where, if anywhere, I've picked up on any kind of dark comedy is the Totoro stuff. That with the with the flower shop owner and their sort of patter and back and forth, and when they come in to kill her and she blows them away, and and then Totoro's like, "What's going on?" And she's like, "You gotta be calm. Go change your pants. You know, you don't want." blood on your shoes and he's like all right i'm going and like you know <laughs> it, it just felt sitcom at that point i was like where did this come from <laughs> but uh to, to to feel that to to say that that this whole movie is supposed to be you know you know not laugh out loud funny but sort of like you know funny i don't i don't pick up on it no it, it's like again it, it's a dark comedy missing the laughs like there are a couple funny moments but not more than they would be in any film worth its salt, you know? Like, just the moment where Jenkins is talking into his tape recorder at a stoplight and those dudes pull up alongside of him, uh, and, like, that is, like, a wasted comedic moment, you know? Like, that was primed to be funny, and I feel like, if anything, they dropped the ball there, but that is another moment that they were probably like, this is hilarious in the context of what we're doing. Like, this is an actual guffaw laugh, whereas the rest of the movie is just, like, a thinking laugh. <laughs> Kyle, were there any uh, like particular scenes you wanted to talk about or discuss? Oh, I got I had one more thing about um sort of like I guess the dynamic between Hoffman and his wife's sisters. Um like I got a very Homer Patty Selma thing <laughs> coming from them. And oh, like there totally now that. that I think about it, like that could have been played much more for comedic effect also because he kind of comes in at night and is like which one are you like i don't know who you are and uh he goes to like take a phone call and they just they don't even talk to him he like looks he's like it was a friend asking about what happened and they just shut the door in his face like there are all these little moments there um they could have uh, maybe exploited i feel like it's the same performance in a lot of movies that he's just like this guy who's tired I mean, you were saying that when they were at Sundance, like he sort of was like done with life. It feels like here it's the same kind of thing. Like it says always to me, you know, not having seen every one of his movies, but it's like this guy who's just world weary and like does it. He if he, he it feels like every character he plays never wants to wake up in the morning. Like that's what I get, and like it's the same thing here. Like he just has nothing going for him. Every day is a grind. He's nothing is good in his life. I mean, I don't agree like, with Ugh. that. There's plenty of positive, upbeat characters he plays. Like, he he has a lot of buddy roles. I mean, Dusty and Twister, that guy wants to wake up I'm just saying, no, 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 no. I'm saying recently. I'm saying, like, okay. since he became an old man and as he was about to die, I mean, Art yes. Howe is sort of the same way, too, right? And yes. before Devil's Your Dead, it's the same way. Like, all these recent ones that I've watched that I've been on, it feels the same. Like, it feels... And even, you know, in, in the Hunger Games movies, he's not the most energetic guy. He's just sort of like... I don't know that he's coasting, but it feels like how the same way that like Cage is doing a lot of similar roles now, it feels like he was sort of falling into this trap of like, you're going to get a strong performance, but like this is the the Philip Seymour Hoffman role or the type or the character. Yeah. I mean, his last one that, I mean, he gave it his all and was just the the master which the master is there, yeah that's all i'm thinking up, in my mind yeah yeah which is 2012 so you maybe know, he that, just spent it all on that you know because well no again th- that's what we talked i mentioned it on that episode it's after that movie that he had his like first drink in 18 years wow so 
Yeah, it's unfortunately one of those roles that just. Well, that's a he- that's a hard drinking movie too. So it's about you know, alcoholism is a huge sort of like it's all over that movie. So yeah, you know the, I, the temptation I could I could see it. Yeah, we'll get we'll get yeah. into this more when we like recap this third act. But it's certainly something I no, it's something I've definitely noticed as well. Um, I think. I would have liked to see because he's a great actor and I, he had it in him. But I think I would have liked to see like probably him obviously survive, but take some time off, recoup, and then come back to it because I don't. It's not to the level where he's like mailing it in, but it's certainly not. It doesn't feel like he he's being challenged anymore or challenging the kind of roles, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean he's it's it's almost like what's being presented to him and then when he, you know, yeah, when he goes again it's not him phoning it in but it's uh I yeah, think I, mean, I think just, just as an actor you get typecast, you know, and this is a stretch. Like Keanu goes went through like long stretches where he was just one character over and over and over again you know it's like he's a and we even had a category on the awards you know where he's like a cop a blank slate you know like this that like he's an archetypal like manifestation and like as an actor he's great like that and i think maybe hoffman you know he's never i don't really feel like he's ever been typecast before necessarily like he's always done interesting weird strange things whether it be like big lebowski and boogie nights or you know the master and stuff so like this is sort of like in a weird way i feel maybe his typecast period and that could maybe you know add to some strain and you know just getting bored or burnt out or you know yeah i mean his caliber especially for someone who's not used to maybe you know doing you know four action movies in a row and then like three comedies in a row or whatever like a keanu or a cage or something like that like i could see where it might sort of like wear on you a bit yeah and i mean it doesn't help that this is like a kind of like a, a lazy movie and then a first time director that if I was going to guess I'd agree with Brian that since he's an actor he's kind of just like maybe his directing theory is just like oh I I mean so again the, I think the two best if I was going to say two things I liked about this movie I said the one already that I kind of I like just sh- the showing of this neighborhood yes it's not defined Philadelphia but you know, I think they did a good job that as as far as the characters in the neighborhood and then on top of that it is like he just did a good job whether it's him pulling in favors as an actor and other actors or the casting directors are really good it's a you know it's a it's a good cast or it's good actors if if the budget was only one million then everyone worked for scale you know and it was just like let's do something for our buddy which is great i like when actors do that just for the project it's nice to see but it's unfortunate that it's kind of wasted here yeah, the other the other end of that coin is that you just don't have the resources on to pull off like whether it be a rewrite or you know we need these establishing shots or we can't get permits to shoot like at the museum or whatever it is, you know the more famous locations you know you just you run into all other kinds of problems it's almost like what if he raised more money and got no names and tried to make this you know with another pass you know like did he did he sort of blow his wad his first time out by calling in all of his favors or you know it's hard to well clearly he he doesn't have like he doesn't have much of a direct directing career now 
No, but I mean, he's still got you know Howard Stark money coming in from Marvel from time to time, so it's not like. <laughs> oh no, 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 I don't think he blew can't... his money wad, but I think he blew his cachet wad. Yeah, that's what I'm saying too. Is like it's very tricky. It's a it's a tricky line to walk there. Like, I, I would have maybe thought he would have maybe done better with a bunch of like lesser known actors that he could sort of direct. You know, I, maybe he got a little intimidated by the caliber of actor he was dealing with as a director. That's all. So- since they, cl- since well, not clearly, but since they were going after this dark comedy tone, I wonder, and this is something I, I don't normally, I, I feel like I comment on directing, writing, and like cinematography, acting, but I, I don't talk much about editing. I'm wondering through the power of editing and like if they just like, I mean, maybe different takes or just if shots were shorter or just like, or longer takes or just even the music they used, if you could edit this into I think music, dark comedy. Music would yeah, be the, def- yeah. the easiest way because you just, you show a shot of schlubby Hoffman with some like funny or music over it and then, you know, it's like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to well, like, they have with they have funny music when they're moving the body around the first time like there's weird music there that just never comes back yeah. and i was like why like that's what confused me because up to that point there's no comedy and then after that point like whenever we cut to richard jenkins like there's no comedy it's like what is it, it, the tone is just so goofy maybe i'm saying this subconsciously because or i mean i'm recognizing it now but because john Turturro, you know being big lebowski in plenty of uh coen brothers movies and then richard jenkins like burn after reading coen brothers like it does have like a or maybe they're going for a Coen Brothers vibe, or like there could be if you tried to make it more of a dark comedy through different kind of editing, it would have like a poor poor man's Coen Brothers vibe. I don't know, but um, I think that's what they were like, you know, because I did read some of the same things that they tried to make this. I, I could see them. I could see that as being sort of the target, I guess. But yeah, being the target. I, I think either. Money- it, like money for nothing with Cusack pulled that off better. I feel like that. You know what I'm saying? Like for a Philly dark comedy, like that is the movie to watch. Like that has Benny DT in it, Benicio del Toro. He's great. In it. He steals <laughs> oh, that yeah, movie. Wow. You know, like so it long gets crazy. Yeah, like that movie starts off and you're like, whoa, it's like a working man drama, and it's like, no, this is gonna be like a weird and wacky sort of working man, like who got this money, you know, like we found stolen money and what are we going to do with it? Comedy kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, you, it, it is it is a possible to pull off. Uh, that's a better representation, I think. I guess if we were going to play, Brian, you started asking earlier if we are uh, a, a scene. I think the scene, the one that he first talks to Smiling Jack, again played by Eddie Marzen, that's just a good talking scene and I mean at least I mean Mike agreed with me that he was uh that Eddie was good in this movie or interesting as far as his yeah, voice and character he created. So uh yeah, might as well we'll put we'll play that scene of him looking at uh uh coffins for his stepson Leon. Okay. so sorry to hear about Leon. Yeah. Sometimes you wonder about God's plan. I just want to make Jeannie feel better. Let me show you what we got, Nick. This is our bestseller. Mahogany veneer, champagne interior. What about that one? Of course, you know Jeannie best, but she ain't gonna want some piece of junk. I got a 
to think it over. Nick, we'll work something out. I just don't want to give her anything she ain't going to like. Well, how about I stop over tomorrow morning? It might be easier if I had to talk about it in familiar surroundings. I guess so. Yo, Mick, was the body messed up? No, his body's fine. It's just the back of his head. It's no problem at all. The back of the head takes care of itself. You gotta get the mahogany finish with the velvet interior. Or whatever. <laughs> exactly. That's that's the you know, I you, you knew that. I mean, I, yeah. So I think I think that Eddie Marsden did it like a that was like a, that was a fun character. I mean, he's the one that ends up creating that awkward scene, like you said, Joey of the body outside. Like you you knew that he was like a slimy character that you know wasn't something wasn't gonna go right. That he wasn't just gonna take that seven hundred dollars. <laughs> I love how in the opening, like that sort of the funeral that we see, like he just gets punched in the face. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You don't really know why, and then a few scenes later, you see him at the bar and knock some guy out or something like that. And you're like, oh, okay, that's gonna come back around. Speaking yeah. of face violence, the only other note that I have is when uh, the guy gets his eye squished out, which is Ooh. Ugh. yeah, that's what I'm talking about with that guy Glenn uh, Fleshler and his like, cre- and he's just like, oh, that's. That's like freaking crazy. Actually, no. The, there's another face, and this is, I think, the one of the weirder parts of the movie. And actually, kind of reminds me of awkward editing now in uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead is when Philip Seymour Hoffman is like full on sprinting after that truck, and then he falls, and it's like a weird shot of him like in the air, and you hear a very bad like sound like effect of car crash. Like it sounded very comical. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was weird. It was, that, was, that was just that was just that was to me it was just a very weird moment. But yeah, that eye, the eye, the thumb to the eye. That was pretty. That was pretty intense. I had one. Uh, I actually had one quote written down, and Hoffman's at the bar talking. I think he's talking to the bartender, and it's the night that that the that the kid dies. And the bartender is like hammered, and he goes, "The night my mom died." Oh, I, I wrote this too. I wrote this street whore. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking lost it. I fucking lost it at that line. I thought that was perfect, the delivery and everything. I mean, there's your comedy. Yeah, the, Make the movie about the bartender and the bar flies and all that kind of thing. You know, he had a real like you know keeping in with the Simpsons things. He had a real Mo Sislak thing going on with that with that joint. Like it was one of the dingiest dives i'd ever seen on film did you did you guys yeah no i i agree and it's like because so kyle i'm, I'm kind of going more on, on your side now in terms of like they did set some settings really well but yeah i think they established like an interesting neighborhood again like i mean i i think the first time i saw this i thought it was new york maybe because i had read that they shot in yonkers or something like that uh but yeah so it's not specifically Oh my yeah. god, I oh, know where that bar is. <laughs> now that you mention it, I know exactly oh, really? where that bar is in Yonkers that they shot at. A God's Pocket tour. Yeah, we can, Ooh, we can do a little God's Pocket It's based on a town tour. called Devil's Pocket, which is somewhere. I don't know why... It's a neighborhood in Philadelphia. Name. Okay. Yeah, that's so stupid, but it's from it's from a, it's from from the short story, so that wasn't Before like the film's Before the Devil's fault. Pocket knows you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that would have been weird if they had the same title. The Devil's like, God's Pocket Protector. Be like a sequel. Oh, I was like, what? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Maybe. 
Manzi, since you said like you really liked that line from the bartender, I did. I you know like I I wrote one other line down, and it's the and it's the scene after when Mickey is like on the couch and Christina Hendricks finds him, and she goes, "What time is it?" And I just love the way he goes, "Close in time." Yeah. <laughs> like there is like good moments like that that you're like, "Ooh, I do want like just like this." I don't know, I guess... He I, never gets maybe, back maybe to I'm... that, though. That's the problem, you know? Like, he reveals, yeah. oh, this character can be, like, funny and drunk and, like, you know, it's the moment of death, like, he's making a joke. And then, like, the rest of the movie, there's none of that. Like, he, it's like Joey said, it becomes Looney Tunes. Like, his character's chasing a dead body half the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... You know, yeah. Um, like, it's... Yeah, exactly. I think Joey was saying it before that it's a movie... You know, that the situation, like, gets bad, but then it gets good. But then it also, like, then does get bad for... Like, again, that, like... It, it, you know, it goes from, obviously, this... Uh, I mean, so the initial incident is that this... That his, his stepson is killed, and then we meet, like, the mob world from that and almost like John Turturro has stuff going on on the side they steal and, meat basically it's like they hijack meat yeah yeah and then obviously through that and that's how those guys you know Dom, Dom, uh, Dominic uh, Lombardozzi goes to Glenn Fleshler and that happens and then he gets the $1,400 but I think what the casket's like $4,000 or something like that but he gets $1,400 from locals but then gambles that away but then John Turturro gives him 700 point being like in the end like then it kind of works out but then we find out that Christina Hendricks slept with Richard Jenkins like well, I do want to it talk. It's just about a very that. all over, up and down movie, you know. What did you think of that that dynamic between Richard Jenkins and Christina Hendricks? The Christina, the the genie and Richard relationship. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's really weird and awkward. I mean, just the fact again, like I mean, so this guy you know, has groupies, and he says at like one point, like, "Oh, I'm I'm a local hero." Like his character is kind of interesting. Like, do you think he was kind of sick of it and did specifically go into that place just to get completely like, like the shit kicked out of him because he was kind of like he has a drinking problem and maybe doesn't want to be this hero to them anymore. Like, no, I don't think so. Goes. I think he's just like arrogant and yeah, I think he's oh, just he's got like, a warped perspective. You know, like okay. Yeah, that kind of thing. He's an alcoholic now, and he's just lost touch. But I wish we yeah. had more time with him. And it's very awkward how they like take a trip to the country. Yeah, and like, well, it's just really awkward. He's in her son's room, and he like lies down on the bed, and then she kind of snuggles up next to him after real. Like I think maybe for I mean, it's not like he's a. Well, he takes I mean, he's advantage a, of he's her. A, yeah. He's a journalist, but is he like a big time investigative journalist? It's almost like she thinks that he can like will, like, look into the case further, you know? I couldn't... So where's the sex appeal with this guy? Like, it's <laughs> killing me. Like, why are these women, like, if not throwing themselves at him, like, complicit with his advances and stuff? Like, he practically forces himself upon Christina Hendricks. Like, she's grieving, and he's just running his hand up her skirt, and she, you know what I'm saying? Like, it yeah. happens, but, like, you know, she's just not stopping it. It's not, I don't get the sense that she wants it, per se, at that moment. Uh, so I just don't get Do you what think that's her motivation? That's attractive. Do you think her motivation is just that, like, oh, if I sleep with him, he'll find more information out? Um, I, I mean the two the two the two vibes I got was like yes there is a part like oh maybe he'll like he is a popular writer so maybe he'll be able to use his resources somehow but then also like the look on her face is completely just like oh my god I don't know what to do I'll just let this happen like very 
victimized. So it's kind of 50-50 in my... Or maybe even more that and less the uses resources. What do you think ended up happening to her character? She just, like the others, she just stays in God's pocket and she probably ends up with some other alcoholic guy or something like that. I mean... Okay. That's, that's kind of the story, <laughs> right? That's the, what's that? I said K. Well, it's kind of weird. Like, at the end, like, there's really nowhere to go. Like, if you see where Hoffman ends up, he's basically, you know, in purgatory, for lack of a better word. Like, he's gone from God's yeah, pocket Florida. To, to Florida. <laughs> yeah, Florida, which is just, well, maybe he's in hell if he's in Florida, but I don't know. Like, wow, we, you this know, is, he's this definitely... is just a podcast of, like, dissing regions of the United States. <laughs> well, Jersey rules. <laughs> Doyle rules. Um, <laughs> just being... Just, just, just being fun, um, but no, I'm just, you know, just like he, you know, he. It's not like he's free either after this incident. He has to go into hiding. Like he is, you know, hiding out, lying low, not doing anything. So yeah, I don't. I have the sense that she's sort of still around town. What's the? I mean, what is the ending? He goes down, and you've got like the, you know, you've got. Bird and is who who is Sophia to him? Is that his mother? Is that his aunt? Almost at the end, it feels like it's supposed to be his wife, like in a way. Really <laughs> uh, but they have this one line, like, "Oh, you got to be ready for when they come." Like, are they expecting like a mob lash out from those two guys being killed at the florist? Like, I don't uh, like. It was very awkward. And yeah, I think so. And just like, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's and, just, and, I, and you're right, end. Kyle. Are they a couple? Because I, that's what I thought towards the end. I'm like, okay. Yeah, and the because she, yeah, I mean, obviously, a wife would say like, oh, what am I gonna do with like? Because she, she has some kind of line like, what am I gonna do like without him? Like when they, when the guys come in there to you know shoot him or whatever. But it just like since she was older and looks older than John Turturro, like it just had a very like like he's the son that takes care of his mom but then yeah. she kind of takes she takes care it, of business in a way it's it weird very... that that becomes a thread you know like it's just very strange that that expands into like a whole storyline you know that we're even asking these questions like are they married are they mother yeah. son like what is their <laughs> relationship like why are we asking those questions about that in this movie like it should have just been that scene and over with or, or you know like I don't know. I feel like the movie wants to explore all this stuff it doesn't have time to, and it's not sticking to the issue, which is pretty weak, because deep down it's just like, uh, who done it? It's like this investigation that isn't happening, basically. Like, cops are not involved. The mafia gets, you know, their ass kicked, and Jenkins basically, like, drinks himself into a stupor. So, like, nothing is resolved. So why go off on these tangents, and instead let's just try and focus on making... what what we can solid. So I, I just started getting frustrated when, when those things happened, especially yeah. with that ending. I hated the ending. I hated it's it. A, was it's just, a oh. sloppy movie with a few too many tangents, I guess. It's just not interesting enough. It, it could be interesting. You have a guy die two slash three times, but it's not, I don't know. I was bored. We'll put it that way. Well, and that's why we brought on secret guest John Slattery. John's been listening this whole time. I would be, I would feel so embarrassed. <laughs> I'd be like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. I just, I really love this movie. I just, everyone else didn't I don't feel like, like it. We've been trashing this movie. You know, I still gave it two stars. Like, I, I feel like for if you want to see what Hoffman did toward the end of his life, like it's worth checking out. You know, like if you're a completist, or I mean, I don't. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could. 
have seen a lot a lot worse that have tried to do stuff like this you know um the, the problem is there's a lot better also like joe is it a fa- is a fantastic movie i think that just hits hits these issues you know more clearly and better and what did you give joe how many stars five stars for wow joe. yeah that's a great i've Maybe never Joey, seen it that's two and a half scott's pockets uh, <laughs> I've never seen Joe, so that's a that's no, a yeah, heavy Joe's, recommendation. Oh, Joe's, Joe's, awesome, Joe's awesome. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of movies that do this type of thing better. Like I I know that like and what's what's annoying is that it's close. You know what I mean? Like there's it's it's almost there. I don't know how you fix it. I don't know how you spice it up. You got you got to bring life to it somehow. I think whether it's just a more dynamic central performance or whether it's sort of a streamlining of ideas or whether it's just tonal consistency, like something has to happen here. Cause like there's, there's the bones of it are good. It's just the things around it, the way that they all play with each other. It doesn't, I think that's a great way to put it. I think that's a great way. Like, like exactly what you said, life, this film has no life. Like it's something's there. We know where it's going kind of, but it's just like listless, you know? Yeah, I think if we just didn't kill the kid so soon, like his energy would have brought a lot of sort of uh, credence to the rest of the film. Like when he goes, like if he had been, you know, if we had gotten just one or two more scenes of that energy, like he's intense in this movie. Like I'm scared of him. Um, And he's like half my age, you know, but he's just very violent and scary. And if we had just had maybe another scene of him until he until he got it, then that might have just sort of helped move it along a little bit. But So I didn't watch a lot of theater movies last year, and obviously he, I knew he had a big year. Does he often play characters like this? Uh, well, not in Three Billboards. He was very different. He was very... I mean, he got he gets thrown out of a window in that movie. Um, <laughs> he's but, great in Three no, Billboards, though. Like, holy shit, he's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in Get Out, he's more like this. Like, he's very menacing in that movie, I feel... In uh, Twin Peaks, he's kind of like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's kind of his type. He's got the is... face for it. What'd you say? Got the face for it. He also, he feels... Like, like, I've never seen him skinnier or greasier than he is in this movie. Like, he's definitely amping up his persona. Like, he's not usually this extreme. He's also in the Florida Project, which is not... He's He's actually kind of like normal like he's like a normal guy in that which is sort of a weird turn and I don't, well, he's normal so he's no, he's normal in three billboards right well I mean, he is but he's also he's, he's kind of a wise ass yes Agatha, you know yeah yeah okay sure i mean i guess that would fall into his x-men first class yeah oh for sure much, yeah. right and he's definitely and a little bit of a wise ass he is an american maid who's he an american maid Mike, did you see oh, that? Oh, he's the, uh, he's, yeah, he's Tom Cruise's brother-in-law. He's the younger brother of his wife who, like, is always having money trouble and then, um... Oh, like, right, right, right. The, he, he starts causing problems for the operation and everything and, like, he works at the hangar and he's just mopping yes. floors, but then he finds yep. out what's going on yep. and everything, so... That he's is, kind of a loose cannon in that So, movie. again, falling right into his character type trope, whatever. <laughs> fine, if, if he does it good, <laughs> fine. Whatever. So, any, anything else you want to discuss for uh, God's Pocket? Um, I mean, I, w- I, 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 like, I wish there, I wish there was, and like, and to repeat what 
Joey said, I th- you know, I don't know how this movie could be fixed, but I think they're... I almost, like, want, like, someone to go and take, like, this footage and, like, almost, like, try to re-edit it and maybe put it in, like, a different order or put, yeah, put more of that weird music to it. I, I don't know, but no, I guess um, it's just, it's one of his last films and uh, it's, you know, getting to that sad time of we're almost through his career. So Yeah, as much as he kind of wasn't himself towards the end, he obviously didn't know he was going to die. Um, and so it's not like he could have planned his career where he just ended on like an amazing film. Um, we're just going to get... We had Hunger Games last week, but we have some um, new Hunger Games coming up, which, I, I, you know, he's partially CGI. Can't wait to talk about that. But, um, you know... Something in common with the Fast and Furious... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, what what's the oh, correct yeah. name of the podcast? Too Fast, Too Forever. Too Fast, Thank Too Forever, you. yeah. Too Fast, Too Forever. So we're going to get a CGI Brian at some point. <laughs> yeah. Can, can I... I forgot that they did that so, like, that they were doing stuff. I mean, I remember they did it with Gladiator because it was, like, hard and, and The Crow because those were, like, circumstantial. Like, it had sort of been, you know, the movie was so close to being done. Uh, but th- I didn't realize they were doing, like, crafting digital performances for... Hoffman during the Hunger Games and so I thought they were just oh, yeah. matting in previous footage and things so that's interesting no they, yeah they did some CGI stuff and then they, they like they wanted to do more but it just like wasn't possible so then they take uh, like scenes that were supposed to be his and give it to like Woody Harrelson for instance so. oh okay nowadays you can just General Tarkin we have him yeah but it, it, it was one, and we'll discuss this when we get to Hunger Games but it was one of these films and like this recent thing that really propelled the this idea of doing that because it's a big budget franchise film where a guy just doesn't make it you know towards the end and it's not like something like harry potter where there's like 90 million of them and you just recast dumbledore it was kind of important um it's interesting the first movie i ever saw doing do that and i can't remember the title but it was a bruce lee film that was shot like after he died, oh, like yeah, half of it. I think Game of Death. Is it Game of Death? I don't remember which one it is. And it's so crappy because, like, at one point they literally like cut his face from another film, like literal the film, and like glue it on. Yeah, glue it on the frames. On the frames, like for reaction shots. So, um, oh, hof- hopefully, hopefully, Hunger Games is a little better than that. What was that? The movie that was uh, Dr. Parnassus right after Heath Ledger, and then they ended up, because he goes through, like, portals, they hired... Oh, the, te- oh, yeah. the Terry... Uh, Jude, the, Jude Law, Johnny Depp, and Colin Farrell, I think, to That was play, an like, interesting fix. Yeah, like, that's, like... I mean, but that... Because it was, like, a weird movie that he's going through, like, different, you know... Uh, again... Yeah, the story ju- could justify the change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... That one, like, they kind of... And that's our like, next podcast, movies that have happened, like, you know, post... Uh, <laughs> We're just gonna just pass away too early. <laughs> well, Kyle, I we, think we, there was one with Anton Yelchin. No, he's never been CGI'd into a movie. Are you talking about CGI'd into a movie or just like released posthumously? There was one. I didn't know if he was. I I I am saying like yeah, post you know his death, but uh, I know there was one that took a while to release, so I wasn't sure what they did with it. I'm not saying. Well, Thoroughbreds is coming was, out around the time of this podcast releases and he's in that but I don't think there's nothing there's no CGI goofery in there 
Um, yeah, I think that just okay. took time to find just distribution. Because I saw that six months ago, and I loved it. So uh, it's when it comes out, go see that. Go, don't watch this. Go see Thoroughbreds. <laughs> hey, we got we, we want people to watch this film so they can listen to this podcast. But it's a chicken and egg thing. If they've listened this far, like an hour in, they've probably seen this film or just really have no lies right. and like so you gotta to cut that what joey said no. and put it at the top of the show yes <laughs> exactly <laughs> hey man it's like got, hey guys you, you go the watch download. thoroughbreds if you got the download that's all i care about you download wow. the podcast you no know, you download the podcast hear us say don't watch this movie go watch thoroughbreds delete the podcast they're gonna get the next one we're giving them good advice it's <laughs> it's good advice I want people to watch this because it's one of his last roles. And yeah, but like, but there's better roles. Him. Like, you don't need to watch this just because it's one of his last roles. Like, if Nicolas Cage died tomorrow, knock on wood, please do not die tomorrow. Like, we wouldn't say, you oh, it. go see Arsenal because it's one of his last roles. We're like, no, go back and see, like, Honeymoon <laughs> well. or something. Like, there's a guy who has a career that spans decades. Like, don't go see shit just because he put it out toward the end. Go direct people to, like, you know, Along Came Polly or, like, an actual good movie. Like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I'm just saying in a career of, like, a guy that, you know, I think personally, like, pretty much gave it his all in every performance. Uh, you know, maybe this was a, bl- a bland character, but I still think he did a good job, and so if you're a, if you are a Philip Seymour Hoffman, I recommend watching this movie. And just to be clear, there's this is an ad- adaptation from a short story. There's no movie novelization of this I can go track down or anything like that. To well, there's find no God's Pocket more. Three, Mike. So I don't know if this is necessarily up your wheelhouse anyway. <laughs> I don't have to ever. I'm not. Yeah, I guess that's something I'll never have to worry about. Or will you? Mm, you never know. All it takes is a two. For there to be a three, <laughs> most of the time. No, there yeah. needs to also there also needs to be a three. Like there needs to be a two and then a three. So we're, we're still waiting for the head three. There's a oh, oh, so soon. Where are you? Soon, soon. I just have to say it because I feel like even just saying it is putting it out there in the ether to get it to happen. Question, question, a technical question: If Bill and Ted three comes out, what show do you release the first episode on? Is it like a uh, like a crossover show. Oh, well, we would probably do it for Keanu Club, and then Mike could either use that on his show. Because, like, so here's a sneak peek. We have not announced this yet on anywhere, but this summer, uh, for both the Charlize podcast and the Channing Tatum podcast, we're going to get to about the same month uh, this movie called Battle in Seattle, I think. And we're going to do the <laughs> same episode for both, and we're just going to play both shows' games for it and do different Giant intros. Crossover. Each. Yeah. And then when we get to Fate of the Furious, we might do something similar. No, I think no. We're just gonna do it separately. We're gonna do that like that's around the same time, but we're gonna do it on our podcast. We're also gonna do it on Watch the Throne too. So, yeah. but Battle in Seattle is a, a special, a special occasion. Interesting. That's yeah, and I think eventually when I get to Tokyo Drift, uh, I'll try and time it for the lap where Joey and Joe too are watching Tokyo Drift again. Well, that's what I was gonna <laughs> say because you're cross that <laughs> on, over on Too Fast Too Forever. You're never spoiling theirs if you're on a different lap, you know. So 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 that would be fun. I like crossover things. It's so it's always a it's always good Synergy. when like, when like M- Michelle ends up on Family Matters or something. <laughs> because that is the most <laughs> obvious reference is the time, you know. Well, Urkel also and speak, Michelle speaking of Family Matters is how Family <laughs> Matters was a Perfect Strangers spin-off. So, I mean, that's the same that's thing right. too. Right. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, spin-offs. Yeah, like you know, and then spin-offs lead to spin-offs. There, there could be a whole podcast Smart on that. And I'm sure there is. 
Smart Guy was not a spin-off of anything. But the problem you run into there is you have to watch every episode of that TV show, and it's like, you know, I'd rather watch God's Pocket <laughs> once a week for a year than watch every episode of all those shows just do a podcast for him. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. I mean, every episode, that's tough. Yeah, I, every, especially Family Matters. I like, always thought Perfect it, Strangers, yeah. I think I would do that without, you know, you wouldn't have to pay me, but... Wow. I don't know about Urkel. I don't know how far I could take that. I'm sure there's a podcast of this, but I've always wanted there to be like a podcast on like pilots, just like you watch oh, pilots of different shows. Good. Clearly, nice concept. Clearly, God's Pocket was not a very exciting movie because we've devolved into just <laughs> something else entirely. But those are some of the best shows. <laughs> some of the best shows are that day straight, you know, off topic. Very true. It's just it took true. us to the end of the show to do it. <laughs> Unfortunately, we should have. <laughs> so, uh, what have you guys been up to lately? Anything? Uh, anything uh, interesting? <laughs> yeah, plug away, guys. Sh- shamelessly. Well, too fast, too forever. Now is a Facebook page. Uh, so go check that out. Yes, I liked that today. I saw that. I liked it. Because Mike created a Facebook page for his show, and we're like, hey, because here's the thing about Facebook. It's like if we had a Zach. Efron Zach Attack Facebook page. Now it would just be like a Zach Efron fan page, or <laughs> it would just be like a dead page. And so either way, it's not good. But the way that we saw, like the same thing with like Mike's podcast and also with mine, or with, with Too Fast, Too Forever, those shows theoretically can last forever. So there might as well be a place just for those. I mean, we're still going to have everything over at the uh, Cage Club Facebook, but we're going to get a little bit weirder over on the Too Fast, Too Forever page, I think, just because that's what that show's all about. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm excited. You have more opportunity for that there, more, more, uh, maybe more, some more debates going on, private, uh, Fast and Furious debates. Um, I, I'm always going to be in, on the uh, side of Suki. That's just me. But well, I can't wait to see like the fan base that gets drawn in, <laughs> that you know, from car culture, uh, Furious fan base, like the oh, the whole you know thing is is gonna like see this new Facebook page pop up, and then we're just gonna get all these like draw all these new listeners, and then they're gonna discover the other shows. So and then I'm, I'm looking at it as like a leeway. And then they're gonna <laughs> be confused as fuck when we eventually go to a weekly show and then alternate the Fast and Furious movies with whatever whatever other movies or TV shows we want to talk about. They're like, hey, there's this cool really this <laughs> there's this really cool Fast and Furious podcast, but this week they talked about Spring Breakers. Like, okay, uh, that's. Sure, why not? So that's going to be fun too. You need to go to the Fast and Furious live, like. Sh- oh no, we are we're, we're planning on that. Do not worry about that. That is. Oh, I can't wait for that one. <laughs> that, that's got to be coming to like Nassau Coliseum or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, picture, have you ever tricked out a hot import? No, but my friends were saying, imagine if instead of watching movies, you just learned how to like fix cars. And I was like, oh, it's kind of a cool idea, I guess. But, you know, I have not ever tricked out a hot import, but maybe, maybe one day I will. Spoiler alert, I will not. Oh, man. Well, for for for, <laughs> bo- for boyfriend material, your uh, main man on that learned how to build a car and build his own car for uh, drive, so there you oh, go. Oh, wow. Well, he really? builds his own motorcycle in real life, too, so, I mean, we've got a lot of handy yeah. around this podcast network. Yeah, it's kind of like, kind of like a... Uh, a car, motorcycle, like a man's podcast network, like a real... Well, like, I mean, you know, red sports yeah. cars are predominant <laughs> in cage clubs, <laughs> yes. so, you know. Yeah, like bros chilling and stuff. But yeah, so, the, gearheads. so this episode comes out, what, mid-March-ish? 
Sure, yeah. So in the last right. month or so, to get back to plugging things, we had the Contenders begin, which is every other Tuesday. So that is Tobin and Island Addington go through and shine a light on the unruly women of cinema. So it's movies that are either directed by or starring women. So I was on episode two, Wonder Woman. Mike will be on an episode coming up shortly. Uh, we also had launch on the 21st of February, Winona Forever, a bi-weekly Winona Ryder podcast. Mike's show launched a couple weeks ago, Third Time's a Charm. And then we also have two other new shows that I don't want to say by name launching this month. Uh, one that we've teased for a long time that I hope happens. And the other one, which is actually kind of cool, surprising news. I just don't want to say anything just in case, you know, timing changes or whatever. But yeah, in the last, like, you know, month or so, we've had basically five new shows add. So things are trucking, to use another car term. Sweet. I mean, (laughs) again, Cage Club Podcast Network is becoming just like the hub of everything. It's like the black hole of pop culture, just things getting sucked in and warped out the other side. I don't think that's how black holes work, but I appreciate the analogy. <laughs> you know what? If you like guys a had a podcast hole. on how worm black hole, holes work, I would hole. learn. But but if it's not on a podcast, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, and also I, I'll just say like this month, March, third times a charm. Uh, Joey's on that episode, and it's Superman three. So uh, if you want the you best can go Superman on e- movie. Yeah, and uh, if you want to go on eBay or Amazon and get the book, the novelization that I read on, parts of on the show, um, it's extremely cheap. And next month uh, is Jaws 3D. Uh, the third dimension is terror. So I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> oh, I love it. Can't wait. Kyle, anything else? Anything you want to plug personally in your life? Uh, no, I'm good right now. Maybe in the future. Maybe by the end of this podcast. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks so much, guys, for coming on. Thanks for having us. Thank you for the second time coming on together. Something I learned. (laughs) (laughs) Go back and watch The Devil Knows You're Dead. I honestly, like, I I could have. I don't know. Kyle, is this fair to say that while you do produce and edit and, you know, obviously a, a. very valuable member of PS I Love Hoffman. You're not necessarily a fan of our podcast? <laughs> yes, there you go. That's perfect. <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much, guys. I don't know which one of you today wants to close us out, but you can decide amongst Joey yourselves. Joey said he was going to uh, defer, I think, last time he was on for Moneyball. So I had to do it for Moneyball. I'm never doing it again. That's fine. We don't want you to. Mike, <laughs> could you remind people to stay uncool? Um, stay on cool, everybody. Thank you, Michael Mancy. Thank you. And thank you, John. Thanks, guys. Thank you.